Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Evil Men, a podcast about stabbers, grabbers, and crabbers, if you're a giant <laughs> evil crab from another planet. It could be anything. There's evil men all over this goddamn universe, whether on the written page or actually existed for real. And we're just going to talk about that. Yeah. But also, we don't give a shit about anything. We're nihilists <laughs> like those Germans from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Flea. I believe one of the nihilists was Flea. One of them was yeah. Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine him, you know, on the Red Hot Chili Peppers tour bus when they're on a major world tour and, you know, they're playing their their songs like Suck My Kiss and Give It Away and stuff. And then he's on the tour bus reading... Uh, Being and Nothingness by Jean-Paul Sartre. <laughs> hey, I'm preparing for a role! <laughs> I feel like they only yell at each other, but super excitedly. I can't see them talking normally. Um, our friend uh, Glenn McCauley, a very funny comedian and uh, mm-hmm. Mississauga person, he uh, I met him at a bar once and he had he was in the middle of reading Flea's memoir, Oh yeah, Acid for the Children or something, and mm-hmm. uh, he was very much enjoying it, and he read me some passages, and it sounded very fun. Acid wow. for the Children, was Flea a, you know, drug person? Is that the idea? I mean, you listen to those those bass lines, they don't seem <laughs> like they were, you know, performed by a sober guy. <laughs> no, those bass lines come from another dimension, that's for sure, and you need acid to get there, that's for sure. <laughs> Hey, I just, we should say our names. I'm Chris. I'm the one with this voice. I'm Mike, and I'm the one with this voice, uh, for better or for worse. And I'm James, and I'm the one with this voice. Or this voice! <laughs> dip, 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 Um, we should what? do an evil woman soon too, yeah. because we we really just pick the name because it's catchier than saying evil people, and I, there's probably more evil men. It would have looked weird optically as like three three white guys launching a new show called the Evil Women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe or maybe they'll be happy that we're branching out. Yeah, if yeah. they're on acid. Yeah. We do recommend listening to the show under the influence of a hallucinogen, usually because you'll, you'll experience it more and uh, it'll help visualize what we're talking about. I actually read on our podcast hosting page, uh, you can see all these statistics about the downloads, and 35% of our listeners are on DMT. Wow. No, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> you know what I saw too? I hey, guys, the- enjoy the trip. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that uh, we have a few listeners in Russia. So that's neat because cool. I think it's illegal to listen to, to podcasts in Russia. So whoever's doing that, you know, we support you uh, in your efforts to overthrow Vladimir Putin. Or, or if you're pro-Putin, we support that too. Yeah, he'll probably be an episode someday. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, um, that, but yeah, it is nice that uh, picturing a bunch of Russians hiding underground, listening to evil men on some sort of wire attached to a fork con- con- concoction. <laughs> <laughs> like they made a radio out of just wires coming out of the ground. Yeah, that'd be cool. The uh, the gym I used to go to, a Good Life Fitness, has reopened, and um, I canceled my membership last year. But I do wonder if now that it's opened again, if the 
these there were these two Russian guys who were huge. I don't know if they were brothers or cousins or neighbors or something, but they would work out intensely together and like yelling at them, yelling at each other, like encouraging them to like lift more weight. And they would blast like European techno out of their phones <laughs> uh, in the gym around other people. <laughs> I I think that's psychotic. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. real hacky opinion, but when people play music, you know, when you go to a beach or a park or the subway, you're mental. If you're playing music, just willy nilly, mm-hmm. <laughs> insane. I should have tapped those Russian guys on the shoulder and said, I can't believe you're playing music willy nilly. <laughs> <laughs> you giant Russians are mental. I'm trying to listen to the daily on my earbuds. <laughs> How much longer will you be on the hip abductor machine? You know that machine where you open and close your legs? It looks funny. Yeah. And they make you put your head in between and then they crush your head with their big, thick thighs. There's this one Guy Ritchie move, I think, or movie. I think it might be called like Rock and Rolla or something. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's that one. There's an unstoppable, deadly Russian assassin, like gangster guy. And, you know, gets smashed by cars, shot, stabbed. And but the, the gag is, is that he's unstoppable and he's like basically always coming after them like the Terminator. I kind of feel like most Russians are like that. That was in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I remember that guy. No. Are you it sure? It was a different one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he had a Russian guy in that one who couldn't die as well. Uh, uh, yeah, but I probably, yeah, sure. I would see, see that. Or Snatch. Being oh, possible too. Yeah. Snatch was really good too, eh? Yeah, <laughs> that that little guy with the glasses who, oh, you know, he, he had pigs. Remember, he had pigs that he fed people to. Yeah. Anyway, it was so good. I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself here as a um a guy who's never seen a Guy Ritchie film. Oh, Mike! Do you know what? There's more man. than you'd think because he's done great. a lot of pop. Yeah. Like sort of movies as well as his like little. Like uh, cliche British gangster ones. Uh, Paddington. <laughs> yeah. The Queen. Love Action. Train yeah. spotting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did every British movie in the last 30 years. <laughs> um, but Paddington is, uh, people are always like, Paddington is really good, but Paddington is not violent enough for me. I would mm. like to see Paddington go buck wild and like, uh, yeah, Sort of John Wick it up and just kind of like right. put bullets in people's heads that bother him well, and stuff. The the picture Paddington paints of life in prison, I feel is not accurate. Like there's yeah. a I don't know if it's yeah. the first one or the second one, but they Paddington goes to jail and he sort of they do like a musical number with the with the inmates. Yeah. I feel like it paints a rosier picture of prison than is than is realistic. Like if you went to prison I know. in Britain, you pr- you probably would have a uh, have a different experience. You would get beat up by Bronson. <laughs> hey Chris, so what? so you're going to Montreal tomorrow to do Just for Laughs. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about performing comedy? Do you feel rusty? No, I feel really good. I've been doing patio shows all the time here in Toronto, and I did a, a festival recently in. Edmonton, Alberta, right. called the Grindstone Festival. That was, was really fun. How was Edmonton? And I did a show in Hamilton at a brewery. That was really fun. Edmonton is really good. It's like a party city. Everyone's really, really crazy. 
Wow. I'm sure it's full of some evil men. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. They party like crazy. Did you hmm. go to the West Edmonton Mall? I, I've only no, been to I didn't. once. And I went to the West Edmonton Mall and I did see them feed the sharks. And then we mm. went skating in the the, the um, ice rink. And then we went to the theme park inside. And I think the next year there was a fatal accident and some children died when the roller coaster went off the tracks. Oh. I would love to see children fly off of a roller coaster and land in a shark's mouth in a mall. <laughs> That's what Edmonton is all about. You know what? I didn't go because I thought about it and then I kind of wavered, hemmed and hawed. And then I thought, uh, no, nah, I don't think I give a fuck about a mall. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have like real fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Outside of the mall fun, we call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like how Newfoundlanders say, oh, you're from away. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that are West Edmonton maulers go, oh, you're from outside the mall. <laughs> <laughs> they should do a musical sort of like Come From Away, but it's set in Edmonton. It shows you how the people who worked in the West Edmonton <laughs> Mall reacted to 9-11. <laughs> hey, you I can stay here anytime. After the mall. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance they'll go after the mall? I mean, they got the... Towers and the Pentagon. <laughs> Would the mall be next? I was working at the Gap in the West Edmonton Mall when I heard about the towers and how they would fall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, the I was on the roller coaster in the Edmonton Mall when the towers came down and we all had a ball. <laughs> I said, stay with me. And he had a grin. And I said, tonight you're going to get screeched in. <laughs> Yes, we have Screech in Edmonton as well, not just Newfoundland. We made, we put beds, we put cots in the back of the Manchu Walk and the food court and all the Americans got to stay there. Even though they were free to return to their hotels, we gave them the option to stay in the beautiful West Edmonton Mall. Even though we live in the mall, it's like Logan's Run. We still dance and sing and have a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, there's definitely, uh, a subculture that doesn't leave the mall. They're scared of the outside because you can have every, and their skin is a different color because they haven't seen sunlight in a long time. And their a whole idea of uh, knowledge and the, of the world, especially is different. And yeah, so I don't care about the Edmonton mall. You know what I mean? I'm that's good. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. I, I understand that <laughs> completely. We don't. Yeah, have any listeners there? I mean, um, if we have any listeners that have been living in the Edmonton, what is West Edmonton Mall? West Edmonton Mall, yeah. yeah. If we have any listeners that are living in the West Edmonton Mall for years and years, and you don't know what the outside world is like, but you still have access to podcasts, hey, how's it going? Thanks for listening. Thank you. Is there an East Edmonton Mall? I mean, maybe just call it, it the Edmonton it, Mall. There is, James, and it's really rough. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Their sharks are dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have a roller coaster. They just have a room where the lights are off and a man running around with a knife. <laughs> Try to pitch your butt. <laughs> we should mention that we have a Patreon account. Patreon.com slash evil men. And if you want to join up, you're going to get some bonus stuff. We're aiming for two things a month. James, um, hmm. while you say this, do you want yeah. me to do the Patreon music with my mouth? Sure. <clears throat> okay, start again.
So we have a bum, Patreon bum, account bum, 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 <laughs> at patreon.com slash evil men. And if you enjoy this podcast, you're going to want to sign up for the Patreon. For $5 a month, you're going to get, I, I'm pretty sure, two extra episodes a month. They're going to be fun. If you sign up right now, we've got an evil questionnaire with cartoonist Chip Zdarsky. You're not going to want to miss it. Patreon.com slash evil men. Thank you, everybody. And if you can't do the Patreon, if you could please rate us and review us on iTunes or wherever, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. No problem. That was, that sounded really cool. Yeah. I love to do that every time. You mentioned Chip Zdarsky's on our Patreon, and that was really awesome that Chip did it, and we had so mm. much fun with him. But yes. now that I'm thinking about like Pixar and stuff and all that stuff, oh my God, how good would it be? Also, I watched Meet the Parents the other day for the first time, a hit film from 2000, starring Ben Stiller and Robert De Niro. And like, man, how good would it be to have a guest on this show, Randy Newman? He does all those songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any contacts that we could ask him? Um, Nathan Fielder. <laughs> all right. I think um, that Nathan and Randy Newman are sort of neighbors. Like, Randy Newman, I think, lives across the hall from Nathan's apartment. <laughs> kind yeah. of a Kramer-Jerry si- Seinfeld situation? Yes, yes. Yeah. You are my prank neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I feel for Nathan because Randy, yeah. he's pounding that piano late into the night. And I know Nathan has some early mornings. And it must just be very frustrating to live next to, to Randy Newman. I totally think you're right. <laughs> he said that very slowly. <laughs> Well, I'm just getting the whole picture of it in my head. And yeah, I really felt it in all my blood and bones. I needed it to like disperse throughout. Well, Randy me. Newman's always opening the door. He's not knocking. He's sliding in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always has some scheme. Yeah. Nathan's like, no, I don't want to do that. And Randy's always yeah. sort of like, you know. Come on, Nathan. <laughs> do a scheme with me. <laughs> I don't know how he sings. I suck at that. You know, he was like... Uh, an early example of cancel culture, Randy Newman, because of his novelty song, Short People. Do you guys know that song? Short Short no. People Ain't Got No Reason to Live was the, I think, the chorus. And I think it caused quite a stir among the uh, the under five foot community because it encouraged short people to, <laughs> to kill themselves. Bold take. And then fast forward 20 years later, he's writing uh, children's music. Well, it was probably satirical. You know, Mm -hmm. these guys. Mm -hmm. It was his response to Vietnam, uh, to the Cold War, you know. Don't look into any artist's past, you know? Yeah, really. They've always got a song about suicide or doing shrooms on a farm, whatever. Something (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Even the song for the TV show MASH was called Suicide is Painless. Did you know that? Right. And do you know... So the, the lyrics were written by, by Robert, Robert Altman's, Altman's son. son. <laughs> I know. I don't get why that's funny. Did he he directed himself? the movie and then he told his son, like, can you write lyrics for the song? And then his like teenage son was like, here you go, dad. Here's the song. Suicide is painless. Do, 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 do. 
Yeah. If I'd been Robert Altman and my son handed me lyrics to a song called Suicide is Painless, first of all, I would have slapped him. And I would have said, write something happy. Write something nice about this movie about the Korean War. Yeah. Or I'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do something about Radar or the guy who wore ladies' clothes or yeah. Alan Alda. Not suicide. But it started. Well, um, yeah. Well, who? What was the guy who wears women's clothes? Name? Klinger. Klinger. Yeah. He was doing that. Klinger. Yeah. That is uh, not uh, progressive anymore because he was wearing women's clothes so that the army would think he's crazy so that they'd send him home because he didn't yeah. want to be there. Was but now the army couldn't do that. Yeah. These days. That's quite a bit to keep up for like 12 seasons or however long it was on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hey, look at me. I got a freaking purse again. <laughs> <laughs> but did you guys know that the. Yeah, the theme song for MASH is called Suicide is Painless, and that started a sort of fad. Um, all the sitcoms from that era and into the 80s had these really depressing uh, official titles. Like the theme song for ALF was called, like, Someone Put Me Out of My Misery. Um, the official... <laughs> right, Family Ties yeah. was, uh, oh, God, let it end. Yeah. The official mm-hmm. name of the Perfect Strangers mm-hmm. theme was... All I need is a gun with one bullet. Trust me, I know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Balky off the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think we should honestly put a committee together that's in charge of going back and basically making more uh, modern progressive theme songs for all these demented TV shows. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys are all feeling good. That's the vibe I'm getting. Is that true? You guys feel good today? I've never felt better, to be perfect. I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode. It was very interesting. Okay. You ready to go? And Mike, you picked this man. It's Colonel Tom, right? It certainly is. Elvis's old manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, all right. I'd say let's get into it. Shall we? All right. So I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Put your hands where I can see them, boys. I'm in charge of this episode, and for episode number five, I have chosen to study the life and times of Colonel Tom Parker. Colonel Tom Parker, of course, he gained fame as the shrewd cigar-chomping manager of Elvis Presley. From 1956 until Elvis's untimely death in 1977, Parker steered Elvis's career, making him one of the biggest stars in the world, all the while taking a whopping 25 to 50% of the King's earnings. Despite their successful partnership, many critics blamed Colonel Tom for holding Elvis back creatively because he didn't allow him to tour outside America, and he forced him to appear in a string of forgettable movies. His attempt to control every aspect of Elvis's life meant that by the time of Elvis's death, the two were barely on speaking terms. And in the 80s, evidence about Colonel Tom's past emerged, and the world learned that maybe Colonel Tom wasn't all he seemed to be, dot, dot, dot. Whoa. There's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. He definitely... Oh, wow. I heard Go that ahead. he held Elvis back creatively in in the sense that uh, he wouldn't let Elvis also rip off funk. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis was like uh, Elvis heard Gil Scott Heron. He was like, I want to do some of that kind of you know rapping stuff. The revolution will not be televised. <laughs> Did he have anything to do with Elvis's hip swing? 
He certainly had this to do with it. He made a mountain of money off those swiveling <laughs> hips, James. <laughs> and I'll get into that. I'm excited. A money maker, the the shaker, the shaker hips is the money maker hips. Yes, Colonel Tom. He loved Elvis's hips. He kissed them every night before he tucked (laughs) Elvis in. Um, There's a ton of stuff. I have so many notes that maybe it's too many, but maybe I'll just dive in here and um, you guys interrupt me whenever, and we can, you know, we can we can talk about anything that sticks out to you. I love that. uh, Can we talk about Colonel Tucker? Colonel Tucker. So is that his name? Colonel Tom Parker, or oh, was it whatever. his name? As we I don't find know out, his name. it's Tom so, Parker. Okay, sorry, Tom Parker. His beginnings. So this is from there's a uh, there's a two part Elvis biography by the author Peter Gorelnik, and this is from the first uh, part, Careless Love. Thomas A. Parker, on first impression, was a heavy set, crude, and blustering man with a brilliant mind and a guttural accent which he claimed to have acquired in West Virginia, where he'd been born. End quote. Now, if you've ever heard, there are YouTube clips of, of Colonel Tom being interviewed, and you will notice that for a guy who claimed to be from West Virginia, his accent sounded quite different uh, from a southern accent. It sounded a little bit like uh, the character Goldmember, actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And he would so tell people, like... That's I, sort of like, I love gold, that sort mm-hmm. of thing? Yeah. Yes. I'm I from West Elvis. Pa- Say, I'm from West Virginia in that accent. I'm from West Virginia. Sing uh, <laughs> Country Roads Take Me Home. Country Roads Take Me Home. <laughs> so is that sort so, yeah. of the idea? That's basically, I feel like we have Colonel Tom's ghost here with us on, on the pod. Um, he was described as a mix of P.T. Barnum and W.C. Fields. He claimed to people he met in the music industry that he'd uh, run away from West, Vir- uh, West Virginia to join the circus as a boy. Hmm. What is indisputable is that he worked as a circus carny for years, traveling across America, and his experiences as a carny sort of shaped his outlook on life and his approach to business. There was nothing he loved more than uh, a-, a nice con. He liked to be a con man, basically. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, that sucks. So he was a carny as a boy. He was a boy and young man carny. Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. It, it feels like you never um, hear that setup, and the person ends up not being a bit kooky. Yeah. There's no happy ending to the carny story, is there? If there is, maybe uh, the listeners can can write us. I don't mm. know. A carny con man credo that W. C. Fields has used in the past since you referenced him is. Uh, Never give a sucker an honest break. I wonder if that was Colonel Parker's uh, slogan as well, motto. I mean, it seems to be when you look at um, what he did with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, uh, I'll just quickly continue his, uh, his beginnings here. Colonel Tom eventually settled in Tampa, Florida. Shout out to Florida, where he worked as a dog catcher and set up a pet cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a con right there. Yeah. He's stealing dogs, killing them, and then returning them and making money at the burial. <laughs> Instead of throwing your dog's corpse in the garbage, why don't you pay me money to put it here? <laughs> um, in Tampa, this is where he dipped his toes into the exciting world of music promotion, working with country stars Gene Austin, Roy Acuff, Eddie Arnold, and Hank Snow. Uh, and he did take 25% of his clients' earnings at this point. 
Well, that's, that's kind of interesting. When I think of the the birth of rock and roll, I do think of Tampa. <laughs> On the count of three, let's say all three of us, the percentage uh, that our uh, a- a- agents take from us. Okay. One, two, three. Fifteen. Ten, Fifteen. Ten. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> so even then, 25% was an unheard of um, percentage for a manager to take from his clients. He was an unusual manager. He was much more hands-on than the typical musical manager at the time. He planned his clients' careers in like meticulous detail and sort of inserted himself into every aspect of his clients' lives. Uh, I was reading that he, Colonel Tom, at one point moved in with Eddie Arnold and his wife, uh, one of his early musical clients. Can you imagine living with your agent or your manager? <laughs> but if he was a carny and he was managing these singers and he had a, all his experience coming from traveling with the circus and the carnival, etc., mm-hmm. would he then, do you think, basically eye his clients as like dancing bears at best? It seems that he, that Colonel Tom, and I hate to say this, that he didn't really care about the artistic integrity of his clients and that maybe the old carny in him was more interested in the money they could bring in. You know, mm-hmm. but that's what I mean. So he didn't think yeah. of them as human beings that mattered. He thought of them as like yeah. circus animals to be trained, basically. And that later became a huge sense uh, source of of tension between him and Elvis, because Elvis wanted to sort of be more than he was, and Colonel Tom kept sort of uh, kept him in his place. Yeah, apparently it would really bother Colonel Tom anytime Elvis talked like a human being. Yeah, um, you may be wondering. The name, Colonel Tom Parker, that he's known by. Surely he, uh, he gained the rank of colonel in the army. But you'd be wrong to assume that. No. Uh, what happened was, in October of 1948, Colonel Tom Parker, he used his carnival connections to get himself an honorary colonel's commission from the governor of Louisiana, who was also a country singer named Jimmy Davis, who also appears to have been the composer of the song You Are My Sunshine. So he just Mm. got a fake colonel's rank from a a buddy, an old favor. I didn't know you could do that. I don't think you legally can. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, too, that he went to that trouble. I mean, you could just have it as a nickname, Colonel Tom. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But he fully went to that trouble. Have you ever, as a joke, filled out like an online form where it's like where it's like the title you can put like Dr. Dr. James Hartnett or like Sir Chris Locke as a joke? Mm -hmm. You could just do that, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm having sex, um, I call myself officer. (laughs) (laughs) Is this like what you call, you talk to yourself during sex? It's just Uh, interesting. Yeah, when I masturbate, I go, what are you doing to me, officer? Right. And I masturbate with my left hand, so it feels like an officer is actually doing it to me. So you imagine you're like a guy in the front seat of a car and the officer, I get you. Yeah, or something. The, yeah. Officer's like, the officer's like, you know how fast you're going? And I say, no, <laughs> officer. And he says, well, you're about to go a lot faster, my friend. <laughs> then I go, what are you doing to me, officer? I'm going to need you to walk a straight line while you do that, sir. <laughs> Get out of the vehicle, sir. I'm going to jack yeah, you he off. Makes, he makes you walk a straight line as he's jacking you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's tripping over the back of your feet, stepping on your heels, trying to keep up while Try to keep it straight. <laughs> Do you have the paperwork for that thing? But that's what I imagine. But what the people in my neighborhood see 
is a sleepwalking fool jacking himself off with his left hand walking down the middle of the road in a long nighty. <laughs> Saying the alphabet backwards as you jerk off. Yeah, it's almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street vision. They're like, what is that do? Should we help that guy? And I'm like, ah, 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 what are you doing, officer? But I'm all by myself. <laughs> Anyways, I'm a lot like C- Colonel Tom in that way. I agree. Um, now, that's odd behavior, Chris. And I'm going to point out some of Colonel Tom's odd, odd behavior as well. Um, Woo! So he's this guy who sounds like gold member. He's a country music manager who has a past uh, with a pet cemetery. And, you know, people in the music industry sort of noticed that he had like an air of mystery about him and things about his background that he told them didn't really make sense. For instance, you know, he's in the South telling people he's from West Virginia, but when he got angry or excited, he would have these outbursts where he'd start speaking in a foreign language that no one around him understood. <laughs> they probably, uh, and they, I'm speaking they? Cajun. I've been fighting, fighting, fighting. Sorry, I, I drifted into Cajun there. <laughs> he would tell them, or he, people would ask, like, are you speaking German? And he'd say no, and sort of laugh and say it's Dutch, but people couldn't tell if he was joking or not. Everyone huh. back in the 50s was really, they were really stupid. And they let this guy get away with a lot. He must have been charming or, you know, aggressive. I think he had or, a ton of charisma. I think that's yeah. that's the key. But yeah, he's around a bunch of yokels in country music. And they're like, that doesn't sound like English to me, does it? And he's like, yes, it is. I am, I am from West Virginia. It's a southern accent. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, in 1955, this is a moment, uh, where it changed Colonel Tom's life. He saw Elvis Presley, a young Elvis Presley, performing at the Louisiana Hayride, which was a big, influential radio and TV country music show, and Colonel Tom soon took over managerial duties from Elvis's first manager, Bob Neal. Uh, uh, Colonel Tom used his extensive music business connections and his charisma to basically, within a year turn Elvis into one of the biggest, highest paid stars in the world. He had hit singles, he did Ed Sullivan, and Colonel Tom even got him into Hollywood movies. So, mm-hmm. so this is all like pretty fast. So he, he spots Elvis, he's like, oh, I gotta sign this guy, he signs him, yeah. and then really quickly Elvis becomes a star after he signs with Colonel Tom? Yeah, so Colonel Tom had... Basically done the same thing with another singer, Hank Snow, Canadian country music star, that Colonel Tom had briefly managed, and he got him into, like, Hollywood and RCA. Mm. So he had all these, like, big uh, connections in movies and music that he then, uh, you know, relied on for Elvis. Elvis, though, soon realized that working with Colonel Tom came with a price because Colonel Tom was extremely controlling of uh, Elvis and every aspect of his life. Mm. He sort of uh, controlled Elvis's social circle and people who had access to him because he was paranoid that outsiders were going to influence Elvis, uh, tell him that the insane contract they had signed wasn't, you know, standard. And uh, Colonel Tom thought these, you know, outsiders would would threaten his business interests. Um, So uh, he kept Elvis sort of isolated. And that was a a pattern that persisted basically till Elvis's death. So he's like a controlling husband. Yep. And so like when people would, after concerts and stuff, would try to talk to Elvis, 
uh, Colonel Tom would basically rush him out of the building and scatter, uh, knock over garbage cans and roll them towards the people coming towards them <laughs> and sort of like close doors and put like dressers in front of the door and stuff so they couldn't open them. Yeah, it was actually the inspiration. Uh, it was the inspiration for the Nintendo game Donkey Kong. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah, if you notice, Donkey Kong mm-hmm. actually speaks in a Dutch accent. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Elvis was like a princess. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. A male princess. Um, I'll troll this guy. <laughs> so at this point, you have Elvis, and he's with Colonel Tom. They're a killer team. Elvis is this huge, gigantic star. But people think Colonel Tom's a bit weird. He has unexplained things in his past. Um, he's very controlling. In 1958, Elvis was drafted into the U.S. Army uh, for two years. He served in West Germany. And Colonel Tom was actually into the idea because he thought it would basically boost Elvis's image as like a patriotic all-American mm. boy and that mm-hmm. a two-year absence would sort of uh, make everyone hungry for new Elvis material wow. when he came back. Presuming he doesn't get shot. They had the draft in the 50s? Um, yeah, I think it persisted until 70s or something. But like, it was, he basically, Elvis was in West Germany just like doing basic training and hanging out. Like he wasn't, you know, fighting a war or anything. Um, when Elvis got home from basic training, could his hips still wiggle and shake <laughs> as good as they used to? Or was that kind of beat out of him by the Soldier? army sergeants? Stop wiggling those hips in such a sexual fashion. <laughs> well, yeah. Or who knows? Maybe maybe Elvis had an influence on his uh, on his part of the army. You know, be like, uh, mm-hmm. give me ten hip wiggles. <laughs> yeah. One, so- two. Soldier, get that pretty little butt of yours into that mud puddle. <laughs> you know, they always have to crawl through mud puddles. Yeah. Actually, yeah, Elvis's hip control probably was an asset in terms of basic training. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, wiggling his way through mud puddles, like you say, Chris, on an obstacle mm-hmm. course. Yeah, he probably had a breeze during the Cold War. It was it would it, help they him weaponized like, it. Yeah, yeah, it helped him climb up the rope too. You know that rope training they always mm-hmm. have to do. Yeah, he'd wiggle his hips and he'd just like yeah, just shoot up that rope. Imagine uh, Elvis got in to an actual battle and then kind of Matrix style, they shoot a bunch of bullets at him and his hips like (laughs) avoid the bullets. Not so fast. (laughs) Well, they put like uh, metal plates on the side of his hips so that he would wiggle them towards bullets so that they deflect off of (laughs) basically protect 10 people at once with his hip action. (laughs) Ting, ting, ting. You know? Yeah. his sideburns actually also were uh, weaponized. They could go over his his nose and mouth if uh, poison gas was deployed. <laughs> it is funny too to imagine Elvis dying in war. Um, after yeah. not after being mega popular for just a couple years, you know, like listen to this. Ever since my baby left me, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> I killed Elvis. <laughs> I can't even recognize his face. (laughs) (laughs) He found a new place to dwell. Um, (laughs) Um, So these two years Elvis was in West Germany, right? Oddly, it struck people as odd that the colonel never once visited his one client his most and one of the most famous entertainers in the world. He stayed in America this entire time. And, uh, 
you know, that also sets a pattern in Colonel Tom's life of never leaving the borders of the United States, Mm -hmm. except actually three concerts in Canada in 1957 before you had to show your passport. But he did not want to go back to Europe for some reason. Well, we're getting to that in a moment, Chris. You're uh, (laughs) wetting the audience's appetite. Um... I'll get to that quickly. After Elvis returned from army service, Colonel Tom, he said, Elvis, nice to see you again. And uh, he told Elvis, basically, forget live performance, forget concerts. Uh, We're all about Hollywood now. And Elvis basically, from 61 until 1968, gave no live performances, had little contact with his fans. He just made like three movies a year. Uh, Science... Colonel Tom signed these kind of bad deals with the movie studios. He didn't uh. care about the quality of the scripts, and this made Elvis frustrated because he wanted to be taken seriously as a legitimate actor, and uh, Elvis got kind of bummed. I didn't know that. So Elvis in the 50s, giant pop star. Elvis in the 60s, like, was... I don't know if you know this from your what you read, but was he kind of considered like, oh, he's a bit lame now? Well, the Beatles took yeah. over the youth market. right. Yeah. And yeah, but, so you're right. Yeah, Elvis became like your uncle's favorite guy. Mm. <laughs> 50,000 uncles, can't be wrong. <laughs> um, so around this time, so Elvis is back. They're churning out these terrible movies. Elvis is a little bit bummed. Um, it's 1960. Colonel's making all this money. He's happy. But... That spring of 1960, something from his murky past came back to haunt him, fellas. I hope you're sitting down. So, a woman named Nell Dankers von Koik was in a hairdressing salon in the Dutch town of Eindhoven, flicking through a, uh, a women's magazine. Mm-hmm. And there was a story about Elvis being released from the army, and Elvis in, the, in, in this picture was standing beside his manager. Uh-oh. The image of the manager made Donkers Van Koik, the woman in the salon, jump. The man had aged ah! and grown. The man, <laughs> mm-hmm. the man had aged and grown grotesquely fat, but she still knew him <laughs> as her long lost brother. Whoa! Oh my God! I didn't know he was grotesquely fat. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. If you see an image of him, he's got up, a great up. big belly, and he's always chomping a cigar and wearing a hat. And also, they didn't know anything about nutrition back then. Um, that's also something that happened to Elvis himself. Absolutely. Right? So Elvis this learned. is crazy. Yeah, he, he looks... turned from a hunk of hunk of burning love into a hunk of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Those were his last words. <laughs> I'm, I'm a, a hunk of shit. <laughs> yeah, Personal. Colonel Tom... I've, I've never seen an image of Colonel Tom Parker before. I'm looking him up. He looks like a porn producer, is my read. <laughs> he's, well, he's a carny man at heart, and maybe porn producers are also, you know, part of that fraternity. Mm. But um, So his sister in Germany... In Netherlands. Netherlands is like, oh my God, that's my brother. Yeah, so wow. suddenly this family in the Netherlands are sending Colonel Tom a flurry of letters to figure out, like, if he was indeed their long-lost brother they hadn't seen since 1929. Colonel Tom gruffly That's confirmed their suspicions. Ago. Yeah. And uh, in 1961, uh, Colonel Tom's brother named Ad, A.D., visited Tom in L.A. Ad where Rock he, from the Beastie Boys? Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys. 
He visited <laughs> Colonel Tom Can I just in LA. Do my impression of Colonel Tom as a porn producer with Elvis. Yes. Yeah. Um. Elvis, get in there and shake your little hips, you slutty baby. <laughs> That's good. Can you can you do Colonel Tom as Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys? Yeah. Um. Wait. Kick it over here, baby pops, <laughs> and let all the fly skimmies feel the beat. Mm, drop. <laughs> Intergalactic. <laughs> Intergalactic planetary. <laughs> Intergalactic. Um. So in '61, his brother Ad Rock visited him in L.A., where, according to what I've read. He was received coolly. Uh, he was introduced to Elvis. Uh, Colonel Hello, Tom just brother. said, "He just said, Elvis, here's my brother." But he didn't tell him where his brother was from. Um, and then there are rumors that Colonel Tom paid off his brother Ad to keep his mouth shut when he got back to the ne- to the Netherlands. Some evil nefarious shit is brewing with this Colonel fucking Tom, man. I'm sick of it. <laughs> it's making me wonder why all the secrecy, you know? Um, so here, I'm going to spill the beans here. I'm sure you guys are wondering. What's the truth about Colonel Tom? We're chomping right. at the shit bit. Chomping at the shit bit with evil I'm a man. hunk of shit. <laughs> so as far as the world knew, this guy, he was Colonel Tom, born in Huntington, Virginia in like 1900. But had anyone taken the trouble to inquire, they would have discovered there was no record of the birth of any Tom Parker in Huntington, West Virginia. In reality... The man known as Colonel Tom mm-hmm. had been born Andreas Cornelis Van Koik in Breda, Holland in 1909. He'd been obsessed with the circus as a young boy. When his father died, he worked at the docks in Rotterdam, and he eventually got a job on a Holland to America ship line. In 1929, he mysteriously disappeared mm-hmm. and reemerged in Atlanta, where he enlisted in the U.S. Army. Here's the thing for anybody listening, and this is true of any time of civilization on planet Earth. If you're ever working by down by the docks anywhere, and <laughs> it sucks and you're bored, hop on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common theme, I feel like, in the Evil Men uh, series so far. Yeah, they just get oh, on a ship. Hopping and... on a ship. Yeah, yeah. Ponzi was hopping ships. Uh, yeah. Tom. You got to think Gargamel hopped at least one ship. Yeah, I Are don't know sure? about yeah. Dahmer. Probably thought about it. Mm-hmm. How did he join the American army? So at like the time, fresh off the I, boat from the Netherlands or whatever he said. I guess so it was like 1929. I assume that immigration laws uh, were not oh, yeah. as strictly enforced, or maybe they, they didn't even really exist that much in America. Anyway, he, I guess the army was looking for soldiers. He enlisted, and he seems to have chosen the name Colonel Tom Parker from talking to the army guy who interviewed him while he was enlisting. So he just met a guy in the army called Tom Parker, and he was like, that's my name now. (laughs) What's your name, son? Uh, Tom Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Dagnabbit, that's my name, too. (laughs) Yeah. We have a lot in common, don't we, kid? Yes. He he learned English by... Interviewing to go into the army in the States. <laughs> I'm Colonel Tom Parker. What brings you to the army? I'm Colonel Tom Parker. 
just parrots hit everybody in the army back to them? <laughs> hey, recruit, drop and give me 20. I'm Colonel Tom Parker. Oh, well, don't worry about it then. Uh, I'm Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> you drop and give me 20? <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely, sir. Uh, yeah, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you make it? <laughs> How'd I do, Colonel? <laughs> I'm Colonel Tom How'd Parker. You do? Right, right, right. I know, I know. I shouldn't ask. Sign this contract, General, for 25% of your earnings for me. So, I just want to point out that Tom Parker, uh, as he was known now, he never held a U.S. passport. And his army career, we, we, we know he didn't earn the, uh, the rank of colonel. He'd merely served as a private. And from what I read, his brief military career had ended in ignominy. In 1932, he had gone absent without leave, served several months in military prison for desertion. He was released only after he had suffered uh, a psychotic breakdown and was diagnosed as a psychopath. Then he was discharged. (laughs) When World War II started, he wanted to get out of having to serve, so... (laughs) He ate until he weighed more than 300 pounds in a successful bid to have himself declared unfit for service. So this is like Homer getting uh, to work from home in that episode of The Simpsons. Yes. He wow. showed up to the army like wearing a muumuu. <laughs> and, a, a, yeah, and a Kangol hat. That's amazing. <laughs> that must have been fun. The period where he decided he was going to get super fat to not have to go to war. That would have been that would be fun, right? I think so. Eat whatever you want. You have you yeah. know, hot dogs and hamburgers and as much ice cream and pizza as you want. Yeah, think wow. of all the delicious foods that you could eat back in 19-whatever, 38 or something. And he's mm. like, one day I will manage the most famous man in the world. And people are, like, the waitress is just like, yeah, right, buddy. You know? <laughs> I'll show you. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Didn't America not get involved to like, 42 or something like that? Uh, 41 after Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, man, that's great. Yeah. So he had been declared psychotic and then, uh, made himself, uh, obese so he couldn't serve. Hmm. So that's, Um, that's the truth. That's pretty intense being declared psychotic. I mean, I'm a psycho. (laughs) (laughs) I'm psychotic and obese, ready to shoot guns, sir. (laughs) Elvis is like, uh, so what are your qualifications? I'm psychotic and obese. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so that that the his actual military record and his imprisonment and stuff, uh, that information didn't sort of come to light until the eighties, mm-hmm. I believe. But there were cracks showing, like uh, an Elvis um, fan club newsletter. Did find out that you know there are rumors that Colonel Tom is actually from 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 Holland, and Elvis had heard rumors that like mm-hmm. there's something fucked up about Colonel Tom's you know immigration status. Um, there's but- something fucked up about Colonel Tom. I'm gonna <laughs> eat food and do drugs until I die on a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so by the mid '60s, as as you said before, Chris. Music had changed with like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Beach Boys, and like Motown. That all this new music had sort of made Elvis irrelevant, and he was a bit bummed. He was making these terrible movies. For some reason, though, at this point in 1967, 
Colonel Tom renegotiated his contract with Elvis so that now he got 50% of Elvis's earnings. Wow. You were saying before, Mike, how, like, so Elvis heard rumors that he might be from Holland? Like, don't you think Elvis <laughs> at some point would be like, you know, Tom, you know, I, 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 sometimes I just wonder if he's from Holland. There are these rumors. You know, he's got that uh, very obvious Dutch <laughs> accent, you know? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. From what I have gleaned, Elvis was so under Colonel Tom's, like, um, hypnotic spell that he never, like, he sort of fumed to, like, his his entourage or, like, to Priscilla, but never directly confronted Colonel Tom. Wow. Um, that's kind of sad, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> so Priscilla would be like, Elvis, honey, do you think that your manager is from <laughs> Holland and he's lying and he's actually obese and psychotic? <laughs> And he'd be like, he'd be like, I'm under his spell. <laughs> you don't get it, baby. <laughs> you just don't get it, teenager. I'm under his spell. Because Priscilla was a teenager, right? Yeah, they had lived together basically, I think, since, since she was 16, uh, her and Elvis. Uh, yeah. And how old was he? Like in his 20, mid-20s, I think. Well, what do they say? It's okay to date somebody if you divide your age in two and add seven. So, <laughs> And you have a Dutch manager who had been psychotic in the army. <laughs> so, in 1968, Elvis, after a sort of floundering through the 60s, he did his famous uh, TV comeback special, which actually revived his career. He was looking good. He was sounding good. He was back Is that the Hawaii one, band. Mike? Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's different. That's... Um, oh, okay. So he did the movie uh, Blue Hawaii, and then a a seventy three like satellite uh, special called Aloha from Hawaii. But this was oh, okay. His sixty eight comeback cool. special. Gotcha. Where he was looking fit still, still on the ball, and it was so successful that uh, Colonel Tom was like, "Hey, let's just get you back on the road." And he booked him into Vegas, and this began a sort of um, until Elvis's death. Um, a period where Elvis was just constantly on the treadmill doing live shows and Vegas uh, dates and, and stuff like that. And because of the constant touring, the, uh, it, they became more distant, Elvis and the Colonel, because they weren't always traveling together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is when... So Elvis started to actually finally see the world a little bit more objectively. Only America. They only toured in America... And this mm-hmm. is when Elvis's drug dependency and uh, overeating problems really began to take their toll. This is it when is, El- mm-hmm. it yeah. is crazy that Elvis. I mean, he's so famous and I guess rich. Like it's weird that he thought he needed Colonel Tom. Still, I, I hear what you're saying that he was under his mm-hmm. weird obese man spell, but it's still strange. It sounds like Elvis actually filled the the hole of not having the Colonel with him twenty four seven with the food and the drugs because he probably didn't know how to be himself on his own in with all this fame i mean they had been together since elvis was like 19 or something and elvis from yeah he he truly did appreciate colonel tom for making him a huge celebrity and stuff but as their relationship went on uh as i said before elvis got super frustrated that he was limited by colonel tom who wouldn't let them tour outside america wouldn't let him do good movies wouldn't do all all these projects he wanted to do he wanted to make a documentary about karate that colonel tom sort of shot down and colonel tom sort of poured 
<laughs> he poured cold water I mean, on Elvis. Tom might have been right on that one. <laughs> <laughs> An Elvis documentary about karate. <laughs> I may be obese and psychotic, but no karate. <laughs> <laughs> I am sad that we don't have Elvis's karate documentary to to look back on. That would have been very fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, Colonel Tom also poured cold water on Elvis's uh, exploration of Eastern religion and philosophy. He thought it was no good for Elvis, and he didn't like the entourage sort of uh, humoring him. He didn't like Timothy Leary or LSD talk and that kind of thing. So so this is probably just after the Beatles went heavily in that direction. So Elvis was tempted by it too, huh? He was tempted by, you know, it was the late 60s, yeah, the age of Aquarius. He wanted to learn about, you know, Eastern philosophy. And Colonel Tom was like, you shouldn't do that. It's weird for you. I (laughs) really am disappointed that, because there was that era where every sort of 60s rock band made their sort of psychedelic conceptual opus album. Like everyone from like, you know, obviously Pet Sounds and... And uh, Sergeant Pepper's, but also like, you know, uh, what's it? SF Sorrow and the Oracle and whatever. From right. The zombies, Everyone did their know, sort like, of. Every group did their sort of Sergeant Pepper's, like their. Oh, Satan's yeah. Majesty's Service or whatever the Rolling Stones one. Like, could you imagine what? Yeah. yeah Elvis's psychedelic conceptual album would have been like. <laughs> Like, don't step on my blue suede shoes because they're actually alive and they're <laughs> they're, and they're one with the universe. Graceland yeah. is melting tonight. <laughs> That's way better than my crappy blue suede shoes non-joke. Yeah. That would have been awesome, though. Just Elvis doing acid and growing his hair long, but still being like... But still wearing the jumpsuits and his belly busting out of the jumpsuit with like long <laughs> hair and a beard, <laughs> looking like an astronaut that got stranded on a planet like years ago. <laughs> Ever think that the whole universe is just a great big dojo? <laughs> um. So. <laughs> Elvis is getting sad and bloated. Sorry, I'm trying to get to the end here because there's a really juicy part at the beginning, and I feel like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I need to get to it. Um, Elvis's uh, Vegas and touring years are when he got sad and bloated with drugs and depression and overeating. In 1973, Colonel Tom made a disastrous deal um, that would later be used in court to prove that he had not acted in the best interests of Elvis. He sold Elvis's entire back catalog to RCA for only five. Point four million dollars. Um, it was later to emerge that the catalog was worth much, much more than that, and the sale of the catalog meant that the Presley estate would never receive any royalties from Elvis's songs prior to 1973, which were his only hits. He didn't really have a ton of hits after 73. That sucks. Yeah. So Elvis is still alive at this point. Still alive, but things are getting really bad, and uh, tensions were, relations were strained. Um, Elvis resented Colonel Tom, and he was often heard to refer to Colonel Tom as Lardass. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a freaking Lardass. <laughs> hmm. 
Offers were pouring in for Elvis to tour in Europe and Asia and South America, but for one reason or another, Colonel Tom convinced Elvis not to go. So throughout Elvis's career, as I said, he only played three concerts outside of America. People around the world were like, what the hell's going on? Why doesn't Elvis tour? He, had a, he was just as popular in France and Japan and Brazil as he was in America. People were wondering why Elvis never toured. It was getting more and more annoying for Elvis. And things came to a head between the Colonel and Elvis. You guys want to hear about the big split? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lardass uh, <laughs> kicking him out to the curb. Two fat guys mm-hmm. who are just blo- uh, butting heads together at this point. Yeah. So it's the not- American dream. It's 1973. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis is doing. The American dream is to get to the point where your two lard asses butt heads <laughs> <laughs> over money. <laughs> yeah. Don't call me Lardass. Look in the mirror, Elvis. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> He's right. Yeah, Elvis hasn't noticed. What the hell? <laughs> I am a lard ass too. <laughs> Did cheese do this? <laughs> so in nineteen seventy three things really came to a head. Here's the split between Elvis and Colonel Tom. Elvis is booked at a residency at the Hilton Hotel in Vegas on the final night. So he had been kind of off. He'd been sort of doing X-rated, improvised uh, lyrics to some of his hit songs. He'd been doing weird stuff on stage. And on the final night at the Hilton, he uh, insulted Baron Hilton, the head of the Hilton hotel chain. He insulted... Is that Paris's grandfather? I I imagine, yeah. Um, Wow. So he insulted Paris Hilton's grandfather on stage. Yeah, someday (laughs) your granddaughter is going to be ha ha ha. Yeah. She's going to make a porno. <laughs> <laughs> um, Elvis had heard that the hotel was firing a waiter he liked named Mario. And Elvis, <laughs> this is how it ended. Elvis was so mad about this that from the stage he started insulting Baron Hilton and saying that he was an idiot and that Mario shouldn't be fired in front of a sold-out Vegas crowd who must have been like, What? And after the show, Colonel <laughs> Colonel Tom went backstage and yelled at Elvis and dressed him down for insulting the Hiltons. They had a huge fight, and uh, then they split. And then later on, Elvis invited Colonel Tom to his hotel suite, where the two men had a, a humongous blowout in front of Elvis's entourage that ended with Elvis firing him and Colonel Tom <laughs> literally responding by saying, You can't fire me. I quit. Oh, God. After their big blowout, the two men later buried the hatchet. So who was Elvis's entourage then? Just a bunch of, I don't know. They were known as Hillbillies? the Mafia, or the, sorry, the Memphis Mafia. It was like he had this group mm-hmm. of guys back from his early days who he just kept around him and sort of just like paid for their lives. Like they all lived with him, they traveled with him, and mm-hmm. he took care of them. But they had it, it's like a weird way to live. They did Were nothing. they real people or were they like big giant pieces of chicken and pieces of ham that would talk to Elvis. <laughs> like, we would be so tasty right now, don't you think? <laughs> I'm going to eat my friends tonight. <laughs> Memphis Mafia, get in the oven. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to point out that the Memphis Mafia are, are very different mm-hmm. from the Sicilian Mafia. Also. Oh, okay. okay. In what major ways? Well, they didn't uh, carry out uh, hits and run drugs. <laughs> Actually, they did run drugs, at oh, least to yeah, Elvis. Yeah, Raiden, 
Did they get um, Elvis's uh, pills that he uh, got addicted to? Yeah, he uh, or he got them. He got the pills and then he shared them with the Memphis Mafia. So they're all they're all fucked up, probably eating too too much themselves. Wow! Did he ever do pills with Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash was a big pill guy. They're both pillies. Um, I don't know if they ever had pill parties together. <laughs> Pillsbury Doughboys. Hey, Johnny, it's, it's your old friend Elvis. Want to come over and eat some pills? <laughs> 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 um, before we get to Elvis's death, um, there's a really sad... This, this one fact stood out to me as being particularly tragic um, in Elvis's late career. So Elvis is sad, depressed. He's doing too many drugs, eating poorly. In 1975, he was offered a role in uh, the remake of A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand came to see him in Vegas and offered him the, the lead male role. And uh, Elvis was super excited because he had always wanted to be taken seriously as a real actor. And he thought this was his big chance. But guess who ruined it? Colonel? CP. <laughs> it's the, the, that dastardly colonel. So... Streisand had offered him, uh, had offered Elvis $500,000 and 10% of the profits of the film. But Colonel Tom wanted a million dollars and 50% of the profits, plus $100,000 in expenses and a bunch of money for the soundtrack. And so the movie just said, sorry, and they, they got Chris Christopherson to play the role. So Elvis was so pissed off that he didn't get to do that and star in the movie uh, that this that really made him depressed. And this was like his last chance, basically, to have... It, it would have been nice if Elvis could have sort of um, gotten his life back together and, and made a good movie, but he, he didn't get a chance to because of Colonel Tom. Um, mm-hmm. Fast forwarding to Elvis's death in 1977, his final years were kind of uh, very, very sad. Elvis's death um, led to Elvis's funeral. And the mourners... <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. <laughs> The mourners at Elvis's funeral recall being surprised that the colonel attended wearing a Hawaiian shirt and a baseball cap, smoking his trademark cigar, and he refused to be a pallbearer or view the body. If I was Colonel Parker at this point, after all the jerk moves I pulled, I would not be able to look even a dead Elvis in the face either. I think that's fitting. Well, you... Um, you, But he still made... Yeah. I would what? Well, you have more, I think, um, you're more empathetic, and you're a better person, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, Chris, than Colonel Tom, because at the actual funeral, the colonel took Elvis's father aside in the kitchen at the funeral and made Elvis's father, Vernon, sign over control of Elvis's career in death. What? Whoa. What is the power this stupid guy wielded? You've obviously yeah. never a met wizard? a Dutch Everybody con man. Everybody dumb. Yeah. A Dutch what? A Dutch con man. Yes, that's it. I'm There's something about the accent Dutch that just <laughs> makes you empty your wallet into this guy's hands. I'm sick of these Dutch con men coming over to this country and screwing us over. <laughs> Canada. Right. Well, we are North America. we are in America. Yeah. You know what though? Uh I just want to do a little round table here. I'll start then maybe James, then maybe Mike. Me personally, I've never once had the desire to manage another person. Really? <laughs> um, are we talking like professionally or, or in our personal lives? Both. 
Oh. I'm going to say no. Good, good, good. Uh, this is Michael here. I've also never wanted to imagine, uh, to manage a person, but I did like having a pet cat for a bit, and I guess our relationship <laughs> was kind of like manager-client. Mm. Yeah, I guess you're right. I have two cats, but honestly, I let them... If they want to tour Europe, I let them go. <laughs> <laughs> um, after Elvis's death, the colonel said this in an interview. Elvis didn't die. The body did. We're keeping up the good spirits. We're keeping Elvis alive. I talked to him this morning, and he told me to carry on. So let's pause right here for a sec, if you don't mind. I just want to bookmark this with my index finger right here. This is the point where I'm going, okay, full-on evil. He's evil. (laughs) Because, no, honestly, we were listening to the whole story. I'm like, is he evil? Is he, I don't know. But, like, that is like that just clearly shows you his intentions closely my kids are yelling at me sorry clearly shows you that he doesn't give a shit about elvis at all now and now he's just he got, he got the dad to sign over the rights and he's announcing right after his death uh his death more cassettes are coming to gas stations so you can play them in your truck <laughs> Basically, yeah. And he kept releasing like posthumous stuff um, and just making more money off, off Elvis, uh, who was no longer alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. And he never said something like, we will miss Elvis. He said, he's not even dead, just his stupid shit-ass body is. We got tons of cassettes coming to the Golden <laughs> Griddle. <laughs> you can get a cause you can get a new Elvis Presley live in Vegas cassette when you get the Grand Slam <laughs> combo at Denny's. <laughs> I mean, and we uh, and they and they're actually going to put it in the omelet. So <laughs> when you cut into the omelet, there is a cassette in there of Elvis, which Elvis's ghost told me he wanted. <laughs> Wait, what's up, Tommy? I I bit into a stupid Elvis cassette. <laughs> That's right. You can bite into an Elvis cassette too <laughs> when you have Sorry. a Grand Slam breakfast at Denny's. It seems to the me the commercial that- is him taking an Elvis cassette and dipping it into a soft boiled egg and then biting <laughs> it like toast. Literally, uh, toast soldiers. Elvis was a soldier. Just like they used to cook in Amsterdam. I mean, um, West Virginia. <laughs> I thought of another joke about his accent, like putting one over on people, but it, it sucks. I should have said it at the beginning when we were talking about like, how did he trick people? But it'd be funny if someone was like, are you sure you're, you're, you're from West Virginia? Your accent sounds like uh, you're from somewhere else, perhaps. He could be like, I assure you, I was raised around a ton of Swiss cuckoo clocks. <laughs> Story checks out. <laughs> That's what it probably is. Okay, you can manage all my life savings. <laughs> so, <laughs> it strikes me that Colonel Tom was probably like relieved by Elvis's death because now he didn't mm-hmm. have this kind of this guy who was trying to rebel against him, um, who was always mad at him to worry about anymore, and he could just purely concentrate on marketing his memory. And uh, yeah, he did. but this is sort of like what I'm saying. He's like got yeah. that carny, like bear trainer kind of like attitude towards yeah. his client. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, let's not forget he was diagnosed as a psychopath. Well, he 
even the uh, the courts found Colonel Tom to be, if not evil, at least criminally uh, negligent. Because in 1980, a judge ordered an investigation into um, Colonel Tom's management practices and found them to be unethical. And after a bunch of um, lawsuits, the Presley estate finally severed ties with Colonel Tom by buying him out for $2 million. And uh, they severed relations with him, but not forever. Because Colonel Tom kept sticking around the Elvis <sighs> sort of myth, and he was invited to events at Graceland and would make speeches and stuff. And um, here's a funny thing I found. In 1994, following the marriage of Lisa Marie and Michael Jackson, Colonel Tom uh, stated that Elvis would not have approved. Oh, God. <laughs> He's still alive? What was he, 100? He lived until 1997. Oh, my so, God. He died. So he saw in 19- grunge. He lived through grunge. He lived through hell. He lived through New Jack Swing. So he saw the music um, revival of what Elvis kind of like inspired the grunge movement in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel Tom's final years, he had suffered from diabetes and gout. Imagine that. And uh, in 1997, he died. At the age of 87, from complications due to a stroke, he had gambled away about $100 million of money that he had earned through Elvis, and he was only worth a million dollars when he died. What a loser. Apparently, he would spend 12 to 14 hours at a time gambling, uh, betting huge amounts, and was. some people think that his debts to the casinos uh, are what made him sign these crazy long-term contracts for Elvis to perform at casinos in Vegas. He gambled a hundred million dollars. That's that's psychotic. Well, I was going to say that's psychotic. He's psychotic. He's a true blue psycho. Now, is that the end of the Colonel Tom story? That's quite a lot for one life, but there is. Don't tell me, Mike, you have info of him in heaven. I don't. (laughs) He swindled God out of his favorite harp. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I don't know what happened if he went upstairs or downstairs, but I do know this, okay? Colonel Tom, so much drama, even in death. In the late 70s, a Dutch journalist uh, who had been investigating Colonel Tom's past asked readers to his, of his newspaper if they had any information on Colonel Tom from his uh, murky beginnings, and a reader actually sent in a shocking letter, which I'll, I will read now. Quote, Gentlemen, at last, I want to say what I was t- what was told to me 19 years ago about this Colonel Parker. My mother-in-law said to me, "If anyone, co- if anything comes to light about this Parker, tell them that his name is Van Koik and that he murdered the wife of a greengrocer. The murder has never been solved, but look it up, and you will discover that he, on that very night, left for America and adopted a different name, and that is why it is so mysterious. That's why he does not want to be known." And oh, quote. bombshell. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's th- crazy. So the dude who, man, who managed Elvis and ruined his life was running away from a, a murder charge. So, and he thought that if he went back to Europe, they could catch him. Whoa. That's why he never sort of stayed in touch with his family. He disappeared without a trace. And also, why he never got. Um, a U.S. passport, even though in 1940 there was something called the Alien Registration Act that allowed undocumented people to basically become citizens. He didn't take advantage of this, and people speculate that that's because 
the Netherlands and America have an extradition agreement, and he thought he could be sent back to stand trial if he was found out. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And how that did, also... How and why did he murder this green grocer's wife? So there's not a lot of details. Everyone, even in the, I think, 70s, was already dead who had been a witness or knew anything about it. But um, mm-hmm. It was the 20s that he did it. The I have some information here. These avocados are too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a millennial. Um, so <laughs> shake your the spot he where said, the murder. Shake your hips, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the spot where the murder had occurred was only a few yards away from what had been the Parker family home, and members of the Colonel's family even recalled that he had been paid to make deliveries for a greengrocer in the area. A series of mm-hmm. eyewitnesses um, suggested that the killer had been an unusually well-dressed man clad in a bright yellow coat, which was always Tom Parker's favorite color. Oh, reminds mm. me of the guy in Curious George. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's why the man in the yellow coat that uh, owns Curious George never says what his real name is. <laughs> yeah, and, and why he makes the monkey shake his hips constantly in the books. <laughs> And also, if Curious George is so curious, how come he never asks about the man in the yellow hat's uh, origin? Yeah. He's, he's hypnotized. Stupid monkey. Yeah. But... Yeah, you're right. Also, this could explain why... Spell. This could explain why Colonel Tom, A, never visited Elvis in West Germany, and mm. why, B, he never accepted any of the insanely lucrative offers Elvis got to tour around the world, because he didn't want to leave the borders of America because possibly he was haunted by, you know, the idea of going to jail for this murder. So Wow. I would be too. I would be too. Isn't that crazy though? Like the, maybe the man who managed one of the biggest stars of the 20th century was maybe a, a killer on the lamb. And even if not, yeah. he was just a crazy Dutch guy. That is mm-hmm. very, that's, I wasn't expecting that. That is a stunning ending, Mike. Nice job. You teased it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Wow. Of all people to manage Elvis, it's it's insane that he like in his later years he did have meetings with like Led Zeppelin's management and different companies that were like, You're in a bad deal, come with us and we can tour you in Australia and Europe around the world, and he never quite was able to cut the cord. He he just couldn't get there. They had this crazy um codependent relationship. That the the story does mm. make me feel really bad for Elvis. It yeah, it's totally because he was just taken still at nineteen and just yeah. experienced this explosion to fame, and then it was like, you know, the guy was a god to him for a sec. Like you know what you know what it sort of makes me think of in a weird way. Obviously, not in a, obviously the uh, Tom and Elvis weren't romantic, but it makes me think of like how <laughs> Celine Dion, you know married Renee, her manager, and she, he mm-hmm. knew her when she was like 13 and he was like 40 or something. And then they got married in, in her twenties. And like, it does seem like a weird dependence can arise from this sort of manager star thing, whether it's, you know, romantic, like Celine, or just, I guess a different kind of control thing with the uh, Colonel Tom. It's weird. Yeah. That's what I mean about like the old carnival thing and like the dancing bear or something like it feels like Colonel Tom found this, uh, yeah, this money maker. And he just kind of like, I don't know, almost like controlled it. Like how a pimp controls like a prostitute. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Uh, just with these weird manipulations and... Yeah. From what we've learned, what do you guys think? Do you think Colonel Tom was, was evil or was he just a mischievous guy or, or what? He's not. He's a con man like Ponzi, but he's almost not even as evil as Ponzi, though. It's weird. He's just... He's just kind of like a demented businessman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he ran away and hid from a murder, but that was one murder. Who knows the details of it? I don't know. It's weird. I, I think he's I, more like a weird guy. <laughs> I think he's more evil than Ponzi because he murdered someone. <laughs> yeah, you're Chris right. Chris is Ponzi really glossing over sc- the murder. <laughs> Hey, Colonel Tom, but I'm we hearing don't know someone, he someone but she might have been like annoying. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, shut up. What have I done? I don't know. It could have been an accident is what I'm saying. But yeah, you're right. I should. I don't mean to gloss over the murder of an innocent woman. All right. So then whatever. He's evil. No, it's okay. We can have a difference of opinion. But I, I, think, he, I think he was evil. I'm going to say that. What do you think, Mike? Well, I just think that the... Just the sheer waste. Like, you know, Elvis was rich and he, you know, he was fine, but he, the sheer waste of his talent when he could have done much more and also maybe the murder make me think he's kind of, he's not as evil as Caligula or Jeffrey Dahmer, but he's like minor evil, I'd say. Lowercase e evil. Lowercase e. Well, great job, Mike. Um, That was very interesting to learn about Colonel Tom. Thanks. I knew nothing about him prior to this. Well, now you've got a BA in Colonel Tomology, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. That was a great time. I love talking about Colonel Tom and <laughs> Elvis and all kinds of evil stuff happening back then in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. This has been a great time. Thanks again for joining us on this podcast, which is called Evil Man. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 